Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey there, friends and neighbors. You're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 68, March 1st Q&A. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Thank you so much to all of you who submitted questions. I'm so glad to hear from you. Keep them coming. Just head over to wellrestedmd.com. You'll find a new feature on the homepage and the contact page where you can leave me a voicemail. Ask me anything you've ever wanted to know about sleep and feeling well-rested. So check out wellrestedmd.com to post your questions in a voicemail, and I'll keep answering them in upcoming episodes. So thanks, and keep them coming. The first question is one I hear often and different variations of it as well. How much sleep does one require? So I guess I'll start by hedging with kind of a non-answer and then give some numbers. So what does one really mean by require? And this is not just to be facetious, but does require mean to survive in the short run or to not have premature mortality over the course of one or two decades? How much sleep is required just to feel okay or required to feel your best? How much sleep is required over a single night, repeatedly over the course of a week? Or how much sleep is needed as a lifestyle for years or decades? That being said, I'm going to assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you mean how much sleep on average should I be aiming to achieve on a regular basis in the long run over my lifetime. Fair? We see with a major outcome like mortality, what some might call a a smile curve of risk. That on the short end of sleep duration, the risk is pretty high. There's a lot more risk for death for people that have low levels, low duration of sleep. As we get towards the normal range, and we'll see what that is in in a few moments, that risk goes down, the the bottom of the U, the bottom of the smile. And then as we go to increasing durations of sleep further along to the right side, we see another uptick of that smile curve going up again, higher risk associated with longer durations of sleep. And we'll see where there are some questions about the underlying assumptions from a, a model like this. And this has to do with the different limitations from different models of data collection. Was the data derived from a cross-sectional survey? You ask a thousand people about their sleep right now. Or is it longitudinal data? So you ask a hundred people and you follow them for 10 years, taking, uh, you know, asking them periodically or doing some assessments of their sleep periodically over the course of, of that longitudinal study. Is the information about sleep from self-report? People just recalling, you know, how much I think I might have slept last night? Or is it with objective measures like a sleep tracker from actigraphy or with a night in the sleep lab? So these factors definitely play a role because this is where where most of the data on these kind of issues is coming from. 
from these more larger population studies. But to get finer detail information about what is really required in terms of duration and quality of sleep, or with experimental models. So we can experimentally deprive somebody of sleep. You can wake them up, not let them go to bed. You can keep them awake long enough and deprive them of sleep long enough and, and then really see what's happening to them mentally, emotionally, cognitively, physically. You know, what, what is it doing to their physiology? But there, there's no experimental way to prolong somebody's sleep, to give somebody excessive durations of sleep. You can keep somebody awake and make them sleep deprived, but you can't make somebody sleep. You can't make somebody sleep for 12 hours and somehow get a result that's valid. Now, certainly we can see what happens when somebody's allowed recovery sleep, you know, normal sleep, which is basically back up to the normal duration if they've been sleep deprived. But that's not the same thing as making somebody sleep for 10, 12, 14, 16 hours and seeing what happens. So there's a huge limitation. So with this ex experimental data, we can sort of back up and validate the findings from these larger cross-sectional or longitudinal studies showing that too little sleep is problematic. But we don't really have a way of validating on the other end of this association between too much sleep and risk, like risk of mortality. It also kind of depends on you know, what we mean by short sleep or long sleep. Short sleep in some studies is you know, anything less than four hours. In other studies, it's just less than seven hours. Long sleep could mean more than eight hours, or long sleep could mean more than 12 hours. And so which cutoff you use, you're going to get much different results. That being said, you know, there, there is a, a range of sleep duration where we do see people operating a lot more effectively than others. And this range really depends based on their age. So for instance, in infants from four months up to 12 months of age, the range of normal sleep what would be required for optimal functioning is somewhere between 12 and 16 hours per day. And this is combining all the different sleep episodes, you know, not just you know, 16 hours at a time, but all the different naps you added together. For toddlers between one and two years of age, that range is about 11 to 14 hours total across the day, including any daytime napping as well as overnight sleep. For preschoolers ages three to five years old, it's 10 to 13 hours total per day. In school-age children from 6 years to 12 years old, it's 9 to 12 hours a day. For adolescents 13 to 18 years old, it's 8 to 10 hours a day. And for adults over the age of 18, it's at least 7 hours a day. Now that's at least 7 hours according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. You may see an upper limit to that from other recommendations like from the CDC or the National Sleep Foundation. There's a couple of reasons why the Academy did not put an upper limit on sleep time. Part of this is because what you require for sleep will change. It, it fluctuates. But if you've been relatively sleep deprived, say for three, four, five nights in a row, then you're much more likely to sleep more than your normal sleep. You know, if you normally get six and a half hours of sleep, but you've been getting only five hours of sleep for a few nights, well, then chances are, you know, the next night when you have the opportunity, you're not going to sleep six and a half. Maybe you'll sleep seven and a half or eight hours in response to that short term sleep deprivation. So that that need, what you require, changes over a relatively short amount of time. When we're sick, you know, when we're battling the flu or common cold, our sleep need goes up a little bit. We need a little bit more sleep. This has to do with some of the inflammation and some of these proteins that are released in the body while fighting off an infection. And some of them are, make us a lot more prone to sleep and make us feel more sleepy. So in those kind of settings, our requirement for sleep is higher than when we're fully healthy. And the Academy also didn't leave an upper limit to sleep for adults over the age of 18. 
because there's still a lot of uncertainty about that upper range. We have an association between prolonged sleep times, say in excess of eight or nine hours, and mortality. But an association is not the same thing as causality. You know, having that association, you know, we don't know if, if A causes B or B causes A, or if some third factor like C is causing both A and B. So it's not clear, you know, is, it, it, does impending mortality make you sleep more? You know, that could be just as a valid assumption as sleeping more makes you more likely to die. So because of that uncertainty, without this experimental model of, of data to, to back it up like we have for short sleep duration, it's not clear if there is an upper limit or not. So that's another reason why there's there's no cap to how much sleep adults should be achieving. So that's why they're saying at least seven hours of sleep. So how much sleep do you need? How much sleep is required? Like It kind of depends. But again, for children, it's anywhere from 8 to 16 hours, depending on their age. And then for adults of the age of 18, it's at least seven hours of time in bed. All right, next question. What is the secret to getting sound sleep at night? What is the secret to getting sound sleep at night? Well, first off, I hope you understand that you know, there, there is no secret here. This information is available for anyone for free. If you want more personalized uh, secrets, you can see your local board-certified sleep physician or board-certified sleep behavioral specialist. But I guess the, the non-secret answer, a simple one, would, would be routine. The, the National Sleep Foundation puts out a, a survey just about every year, called the, the Sleep in America poll. And a few years ago, I think this was in uh, 2019, they had uh, their, their survey was on sleep and scheduling. And what they found was that a majority, something like you know, 55, 60, 65% of Americans don't keep a consistent sleep schedule across the week, similar to what we talked about in, in episode 23 on social jet lag. That most people, most Americans, really don't have routine. They're going to bed and waking up at different times across the week. Most often, sort of one schedule that's kept during the weekdays, and then a separate schedule that they keep on, on days off, you know, on the weekend. Which is almost always in the form of staying up later and sleeping in later. And what they found in, in this poll a few years ago from the National Sleep Foundation is that individuals, the minority of people, who did keep a consistent sleep and wake schedule were one and a half times more likely to wake up feeling well-rested compared to the majority of people who didn't have a routine, who weren't keeping a consistent schedule, whose schedule was, was fluctuating across the week in an unpredictable manner. So just having routine alone, just having a, a, a schedule of when I wake up, what time I try to go to bed, and keeping that consistent across the seven days of the week, one and a half times more likely to feel well-rested, to get that sound sleep at night compared to those that don't keep that kind of routine. I think routine often is sort of lumped together with, with being dull. And routine here, you know, it's, it's not about being boring. You know, we're, we're just coming through the, the end of the Olympics. And professional athletes, all of them, for their peak performance, all have a routine. A warming up routine. Of stretching or light exercise or whatever. A shutting down routine after their performance. More stretching, icing, whatever it may be. We should be having the same kind of routines for our sleep as well. A warming up routine when we first wake up in the morning. A shutting down routine at night shortly before we're going to bed. And especially keeping a routine of a consistent wake up time in the morning. You know, that's a lot more important than going to bed at the exact same time every single night. 
and this is because you can't control what time you fall asleep. There's there's no volitional switch that allows you to just suddenly shut off and fall asleep. But you can control what time you wake up. And that's what alarms are for. So regardless of your zest for variety as the spice of life, or how thrill-seeking you are, we all share the same basic physiology. Your waistline craves routine. Metabolism is based on this routine of the circadian rhythm. Your inner sage craves routine. Your mental health depends on this routine of circadian consistency. Your cardiovascular health craves routine. Where your blood pressure and heart rate, all these things follow and are improved by circadian regularity. So understand when you peak. And for different people, that's different times. It could be early in the morning, late in the morning, early afternoon, late in the afternoon. You know, when you peak, that's when you should be aiming to get your best work done. If you understand what and when to eat and how long it takes to get on the table, you can form your routine to make sure that that meal occurs at the right time by kind of working backwards. When you understand when your physical performance is at its best across the 24-hour period, then you can build your routine, your schedule around that, when to exercise, when to go work out, when to play ball. So routine provides predictable structure. And you can flesh out that framework however you desire and shake it up as much as you need. So having the structure doesn't mean that you're locked into being dull and being boring. You can add as much flavor and variety as you need to on top of that framework. And I know I, I, I plug this at the end of every episode, but you can download a copy of such a framework for these evidence-based routines for healthy sleep. That's at wellrestedmd.com slash day. And not to dodge the question any further, because it, this is a very important point. You know, I hope you are all curious about how to get better rest at night, not for the sake of sound sleep, but for what that can do for your conscious life, for your energy, your health, your mental acuity, your emotional regulation, your overall well-being. Use of the word routine here is not just about doing activity X at time Y in place Z. It's really about building out a lifestyle that actually makes sense. A lifestyle of higher quality living, of happiness, productivity, better relationships, better satisfaction, better health. I mean, I hope that's what you all want. And the same kinds of adjustments that help in most of the domains of well-being also aid in sleeping with better quality and vice versa. So it's not that, that just doing one hack will leave you sleeping soundly, but the rest of your life still sucks, right? R rather, this is about making small adjustments in multiple areas of your life, like getting a little bit more time in nature, a little bit more green exposure, like really developing intimate social relationships without using emojis, but actually talking to somebody and being vulnerable. Like using your body so that you won't lose bodily functions. And doing this in the form of whatever kind of exercise brings you joy and satisfaction. Like stimulating and challenging that big old beautiful brain of yours by being a lifelong learner of whatever subject is tickling your curiosity at the moment. Like not assuming you're already the most perfect version of yourself that could never be improved upon, but instead actively engaging in spiritual and personal growth. How do I become more patient, more tolerant, more thankful, more pleasant to be around, more loving, less self-critical, less ashamed? 
So having a routine is a simplified answer. And that's not really a secret, but it is a helpful way to sleep soundly. One and a half times more soundly. But routines here is also a surrogate for lifestyle. The routines that help you crack that sound sleep barrier are also the building blocks of eudaimonia, living the good life, of thriving, of which sleep is a very small but necessary part. So I love getting your questions. Please send me more. Please check out wellrestedmd.com where you can leave me a voicemail and ask any question that you want. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave a review and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information, including the option to sign up for email updates. And don't forget to drop me a voicemail with your questions. Thanks for listening.